Chapter 5 of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science, by George Griffith. Chapter 5. The next morning, among the letters, Grace found an invitation from her aunt, the professor's elder sister, to go to London and do some shopping. When Grace's engagement to Harold had been formally announced, this lady had been asked by her brother to come and keep house for him until the wedding was over. This fell in exactly with the arrangements of the party, all the more so because Harold was going up to town to look after some shooting gear, and so they went up together by the midday train. Grace was to stop a week in town, and then bring her aunt back to take up her new position at the dower house. The night of the supper passed off very pleasantly, and no one who could have seen the three men smoking and chatting in such seemingly cordial friendship over their wine could have guessed that they were anything but the closest friends. Certainly the last possible supposition would have been that the perpetration of one of the most diabolically subtle crimes the mind of man had ever devised would have begun before Professor Halkine's guest left the house. Although Sir Godfrey did not, of course, see any sinister meaning in the circumstances, he might have noticed that his hosts smoked pipes, while he had a box of peculiarly fragrant cigars at his elbow, and further that Halkine had devoted a small decanter of very delicately flavored wine, something like Tokay, to his special use, saying that it was the last drop he had left for the present. He and Mr. Denyer contented themselves with ordinary port. This, of course, Sir Godfrey took good-naturedly as a friendly compliment, little dreaming what the consequences of his acceptance were to be. Towards eleven o'clock he began to experience a curious exhilaration of mind, and an equally singular increase of physical vigor. He felt as though a weight of twenty years had dropped from his shoulders. The elasticity of youth seemed to be returning to his limbs, and his thoughts, quickly thronging as they were, appeared to be, even for him, clear and logical thinker as he was, most unwontedly clear-cut and luminous. "'This is certainly a most wonderful wine of yours, Halkine, I must say,' he said as he responded to an invitation to fill his glass again. "'What did you say it was? Oh, yes, some rare bohemian vintage.' "'Well, it's very kind of you to let me have your last bottle. "'Upon my word, it almost makes one believe in the possibility of the elixir of life. "'Hanged if I don't feel twenty years younger. "'I believe I could climb the golden pinnacle again, "'and it is over fifteen years since I was fit to do that. "'And these cigars, too. Deliciously fragrant they are.' "'Yes,' replied the professor. "'It is, as you say, quite a wonderful wine.' I'm very sorry that I have come to the end of it, but I am told there will be another lot ready for export in a few months, so you needn't have any scruples about finishing that. I assure you there isn't a headache in a dozen of it. It is very remarkable how it really does make one feel a lot younger. I suppose it must have some curious physical effect on the brain centers. It's a very pleasant delusion, at any rate. I have drunk it for years, and never found any evil results so that, after all, it is an innocent enjoyment, especially for people who have led lives like ours, and are getting into the armchair stage of travel. 
For my own part, I know of no greater enjoyment, except perhaps the tracking down of one of nature's secrets, than to go on my wanderings again in an armchair with a pipe and a sketch map. For instance, I spent the half of last night among the mountains of the eastern frontier of Tibet. That ground is pretty well known to you, isn't it, Sir Godfrey? Yes, I think I may say it is, he replied. I had one or two little adventures there which form quite interesting memories. Well, as it is comparatively early yet, Sir Godfrey, said Mr. Denyer, in a gentle, persuasive tone, and as I, a hopeless stay-at-home, don't often find myself in company with such great travellers as you are, won't you share some of those pleasant memories with us? I am sure you must have had some very strange experiences in all your wanderings. Mr. Denyer was, as he had confessed, neither a moral nor an honest man, but he had a sort of moral veneer which served him as well with the world as the real article would have done, and he was distinctly shocked at the startling result of this request. Sir Godfrey's thin, parchment-skinned cheeks were flushed as they had not been for years, and his usually mild and meditative eyes were shining with a hard, steely light, like the eyes of a man who was looking death very nearly in the face. Before he was halfway through with the telling of his first recollection, the startled lawyer recognized that Halkine had only told him the literal truth during his exposition of the strange disease of personality from which he and Sir Godfrey was suffering. Whatever drug the professor had put into the wine and the cigars, it had certainly had the effect of dividing Sir Godfrey's nature with amazing sharpness. The courtly gentleman and the refined scholar had disappeared, and the adventurous wanderer, ruthless and unscrupulous in his fight for life and fortune against overwhelming odds, had taken his place. His very speech had changed, and he used phrases of picturesque coarseness and unrestrained ribaldry, which sounded strange indeed from the lips of the polished master of Enstone Manor. From adventures of one kind, he gradually descended to others of the least creditable sort. In short, all the worst that he had done in his life came out, told with a frank gusto of brutal satisfaction, which completely shocked the superficially respectable lawyer. It was, indeed, such a miracle as Mephistopheles himself might have delighted to work, and while he was reveling in the description of episodes upon which he had often looked back with shame and disgust, he drank glass after glass of the poisoned wine, and smoked the seductively fragrant cigars incessantly. And yet, strange to say, he showed no signs of ordinary intoxication. His speech was as clear and his sentences as logically framed and consecutive as they had ever been. In short, the only effect that the deadly draughts had taken had been to make him, as it were, morally instead of physically drunk to paralyze the whole of the better part of his nature, and to excite all that was base and common in it to intense activity. It was nearly two o'clock before the party broke up, and when Sir Godfrey rose to go, the professor went out into the hall with him to help him on with his coat. In doing so, he committed one of those apparently slight mistakes which have so often wrecked the careers of the greatest of criminals. There were still about a dozen cigars in the box, and two or three glasses of wine in the decanter. The moment that they were out of the room, Mr. Denyer took a round two-ounce bottle out of his pocket, uncorked it, and filled it with wine. He corked it, and put it back, 
and helped himself to a couple of cigars. There is no telling when these might come in useful, he said to himself, as he sat down again. It is quite on the cards that friend Halkine may overstep the law practically as well as theoretically. In that case, these would furnish very valuable evidence, especially if he is inclined to play the fool about that money. And when a fellow goes mad, as he is on science and all that sort of thing, there is no telling what he will do. When Sir Godfrey came in with his overcoat on to say good night, the professor took the remaining cigars in a handful out of the box and said, Now, Sir Godfrey, there's just another glass of wine for a nightcap. I should not advise you to mix anything with it. Or I would offer you a brandy and soda. You might as well put these weeds in your pocket. I have got plenty more. My dear fellow, it would be absolute sacrilege to put anything down on top of such nectar as this, replied Sir Godfrey, taking the full glass which Halkine offered him. No, you can depend upon that. But you say you are going to be good enough to walk up to the manor with me. Well, if you like to turn in, I'll have the pleasure of watching you have a brandy and soda. Meanwhile, I must thank you for an almighty pleasant evening. By gad, it is just like being back in the old times. Most extraordinary. All the same, I am not sorry that Master Harold wasn't here to hear some of these queer yarns I have been telling you. I don't think they would have done his young morals much good. Still, things were different in those old days, weren't they? I expect you could spin us a pretty tough-laid yarn yourself if you tried. Well, well, when you get in some more of that wine, I'll get you to let me have some of it if you can. Good night, Denyer. Hope you won't dream about too many of those traveler's tales I've been telling you. It wouldn't be too good for a respectable member of society and father of a family like yourself. Well, so long. As soon as they got outside into the field path, which led from the dower house to the manor, the professor's manor altered entirely he ceased to be the genial respectable host and became as it were the mental director it might also be said the tyrant of the man whom his science had for the time being placed completely at his mercy he began to talk in a masterful tone which was in strange contrast with the quiet refined voice that he used in his daily intercourse with the world and he confined himself strictly to one subject business Sir Godfrey appeared to take it all quite as a matter of course. He agreed with everything he said, and did not take the slightest notice of his singularly changed manner. When they reached the side door of the manor, which admitted directly to the rooms which Sir Godfrey reserved for himself, he opened it with his latch-key, turned on the electric light, and the professor, following him to the library, he turned and said, "'Have a drink, Halkine. There is the spirit-stand.' and you will find some soda and a cigarette. I shall follow your advice. That wine of yours has made me feel so good that I guess I won't spoil the sensation with anything else. Halkine helped himself very sparingly. If ever he wanted a clear head and steady hand, he wanted them now. For this was the crucial hour of the experiment, which was to prove whether his theory as to the disease of personality was correct or not. He sat down opposite his host at the corner of the table, and went on talking about his niece's marriage and arrangements for settlements, and so on. 
and gradually and subtly led up to the question of Sir Godfrey's will. "'Oh, that will be all right,' he interrupted, almost roughly. "'I made the will some years ago. The estate is unentailed. I have left everything to Harold, with the exception of a few legacies to servants, and one or two bequests to scientific research. So you see, Grace will be quite safe. Don't you worry about the settlements, old man. They'll be all right.' "'No, I don't propose to,' said Halkine, still in his cold, masterful tone, keeping his eyes fixed on Sir Godfrey's. "'But I do not think I could accept such a will on her behalf as entirely satisfactory. You see, I am her guardian. She owes practically everything to me, and although I don't suppose such a thing probable for a moment, still, you know, it is possible for man and wife, however much they may love each other to begin with, to come to loggerheads afterwards. So I propose that you shall execute another will in place of that one. But why on earth should I do that? exclaimed Sir Godfrey, in a curiously wavering tone, trying in vain to move his gaze from those pitiless and compelling eyes. Because I think it the right and proper thing to do, Sir Godfrey, was the reply. Just wait a moment. I'll show you what I mean. He got up, fetched the blotting-pad and a sheet of fool's cap from the writing-table. He put these onto the other table by Sir Godfrey's right hand, and then he did a very extraordinary thing, which, strangely enough, did not strike Sir Godfrey as being at all out of the common. There was a light Japanese folding-screen standing beside the door. He brought this up to the table and stood it up flat against the edge in such a way that, one of the leaves stood between Sir Godfrey's body and his right arm as he sat at the corner of the table. In other words, it was so placed that while Sir Godfrey's right hand and arm were lying on the table, he was not able to see them without looking round the edge of the screen. Halkine then went round behind his chair, placed the paper and the blotting pad in position, took out his stylographic pen, uncovered the nib, and put it into Sir Godfrey's hand. Then he went round the screen again, and sat down in front of him. And as soon as he got his eyes enchained again, he began, Now, Sir Godfrey, on the subject of this will, what I venture to propose that you should do is this. You and I, although we have not known each other personally for very long, are still old friends and fellow workers in the most sacred of all causes. Therefore, I think you can trust me if you can trust anyone." "'Oh, yes,' replied Sir Godfrey, in the same wavering voice. "'There is no question to that, of course. "'Now, what is it that you propose?' "'Simply this,' he replied slowly and very distinctly. "'That you should, as soon as convenient, "'draw up instructions to your solicitors to prepare a new will.' "'He paused for a few moments, "'and the hand behind the screen began to write.' When the faint scratching ceased, he went on again. And I propose by this will, you should leave your real and personal estate to your adopted son, Harold Enstone, on condition of his marrying Miss Grace Romanus. Here the scratching began again, keeping pace with Halkine's slowly spoken words. And that you appoint your friend... Jenner Halkine, as sole trustee of your whole estate. 
with power to carry out your wishes as indicated in writing to me for the furtherance of research in those special branches of science to which you have devoted so many years of your life these instructions are in case your adopted son harold docker instone fails from any cause under his own control to marry miss grace romanus or shall be prevented from doing so by death accident or disease in that case the sum of one thousand pounds shall be paid annually to the trustee for life and the residue of the estate shall be applied at his discretion to the purposes of study education and original researches in such branches of science as he may select in accordance with the aforementioned instructions in the event of the marriage between harold docker instone and grace romanus taking place the money conveyed to her by the marriage settlements shall be at her absolute disposal harold docker instone shall enjoy the revenues of the estate to the extent of twenty thousand pounds a year with possession of two houses in london and the country grouse moors salmon streams yachts etc the balance of the revenues of the estate shall be held in trust by dr jenner halkine and used at his discretion in accordance with the testator's instructions he shall have power to appoint two other trustees of approved eminence in the scientific world to cooperate with him and the legal adviser to such trustee or trustees shall be bonham denyer esq of middle temple lane london you will of course sign these instructions and have them put in proper form by him and your own solicitor as soon as possible the pen went on scratching regularly until the slowly spoken speech came to an end then there were a few more rapid decisive scratchings and it stopped Halkine got up and went round the screen took the pen out of sir godfrey's hand and looked over the paper the unconscious hand had written down the instructions word for word in the small handwriting so familiar to all sir godfrey's many correspondents and at the end was his signature as usual in bold contrast to the writing he put the paper and blotting pad aside removed the screen and said in a totally altered voice as though nothing extraordinary had taken place and now sir godfrey we have had a very interesting chat but i really think it is about time for bed i will look round later on in the morning when we have both had a sleep and finish our little discussion they shook hands, and Sir Godfrey went out to open the side door. Halkine folded up the paper, put it into his pocket, and followed him. End of chapter 5 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista